We're going to gather around God's Word together. Uh, We're going to be digging into the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, I I invite you to turn with me there, the Gospel of John chapter 8. The words will be on the screen if you don't have uh, your Bible with you. We're going to be reading John chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. We'll follow on through verse 36 as we hear uh, Jesus uh, teaching and his engagement with uh, the Pharisees as they uh, are talking with one another in the temple. Let us together hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I have much to say in judgment of you, the Pharisees, but he, his father who sent me, is trustworthy. And what I've heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said to, to them, what, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. And to the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word, for the teachings of Jesus, that inform our life, Lord, that we feel both comfort and conviction from what we have received this day. So, Lord, ground us in it, ground us in your truth, help us to to come around it together as a congregation, as a people, and to hear from you. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds to come to know and understand your word our hearts, that we would feel its power. And I pray, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it interesting to think back just a few years ago, every major sports team in Houston had totally different leadership. GM, president, Uh, and coach. And so it makes me think about the process that you go through whenever you hire uh, a a leader like that. Oftentimes, particularly in the sports world, you are looking for someone that's from a certain coaching tree. Have you ever heard this? A coaching tree, right? You, You want Bill Belichick, and so you hire someone in Bill Belichick's tree, which has had the tradition of being a massive failure. But... 
you try to hire someone from a certain tree. And, 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 and think about it. I think about my, my, my longhorn brothers and sisters out there who, who just hired Chris Beard as their new uh, basketball coach. By the way, I think it's going to work out marvelously. I think he's an outstanding coach. But you hear it bragged on that he's from the Bobby Knight tree. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to get chairs on the court and there's passion and in, the, in, in that line, and that line is brought to the university, and all of a sudden we'll win again because it's the line. But it's not about the line. And that's the problem we have whenever we think in these terms. We think of, uh, of these coaching trees as these lines as though the posture is, I wish I could hire Coach Knight, Coach K, Bill Belichick. But since I can't, I will take a weak alternative. That's, that's the mindset that we come in it with. But if we had the right mindset, the right frame of reference, we wouldn't be thinking about, I wish I could, so I'm going to settle. Instead, we would say, I want someone who is deeply shaped and formed by excellent mentors, by others that have poured into them, so that they are fully themselves carrying with them the wisdom of others. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what we're really trying to say whenever we talk about coaching trees. I, I could relate to that in, in the preaching world. I, I think about how in my early ministry, oftentimes uh, I, I was falling short because I was trying to be one of those people that have poured into me. Wh whether it be Richard Burnham, Tom Pace, or Dr. Gil Watson, those are my three major preaching influences. And, and, and I could think back to certain sermons early on where I was just trying to parrot one of them, trying to be one of them when I'm not. I'm Jason. And so what I had to do over the course of time, and I actually can't name when it happened, but, but it was that, that, that Tom and Richard and, and Dr. Gill all were a part of who I am, deeply informed uh, my, my preaching, and yet I was authentically me. You might be able to think about how that works in your lives. We, we all got to actually bear witness to that just a few weeks ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Megan Maserell preached here. If you were here, you remember. If you were with us online, you remember because it was a fantastic sermon. And I was just blown away. And here's why I was blown away, though. I was blown away because on that day, Megan was fully Megan as she was preaching. It was 100% her, yet fully informed with Ben Stewart and Ken Werlein and Jason Burnham and others, I'm sure. These voices weren't a substitute for her voice, but she did nothing outside of who she was and how she was informed by those witnesses. Jesus is, is, is inviting us to see how intricately woven this kind of connection can be. And it all starts in a, in a grand fight he's having, uh, philosophically, mind you, with the Pharisees. He's in the temple, he's in Jerusalem, and he's teaching. And they're trying to trap him because he's gaining followers, and they don't want anyone to follow him. They want people to follow them because they're selfish. And so, in this broken interpretation of what God desires, they come at Jesus with all these traps. One of the traps they bring is they bring a woman who's been caught in adultery. They put her before Jesus at the beginning of chapter 8, and they say... Uh, 
that they say, what is the penalty? Doesn't she need to be stoned? She's been caught in the very act of adultery. And so you'll remember the story. Jesus says, those without sin cast the first stone. We get the picture. But then in verse 12, Jesus lays it on in response to this scene with the Pharisees in a very thick way. Verse 12, Jesus says, with no mincing of words in the most direct way possible, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is in the temple with the Pharisees, the people that are trying to challenge him and trap him who don't like that he is gaining following and he announces directly, I am the light of the world. Well, they don't like that at all. The Pharisees, they, you know, buck up to that. They, 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 they challenged him, it says in verse 13. They, they, they aggressively respond and they say, you're, you're your own witness. You're testifying to who you are without anyone else verifying that. If no one else is verifying it, then it's false. That's how they lay out their argument. If only you're saying it, it must be false. And then Jesus, Jesus then goes into this, into this mode where he's trying to show who he is and who God is and how those things are so perfectly woven together and connected. He says, no, 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 it's not just one witness. It's not just me, but actually it's two witnesses and the word of God. The Old Testament tells us that if there are two witnesses, then it can be verified. And he says, here are the witnesses, me and my father. Now, they don't much like that answer either because they are now put in a bind. They can't say, well, well, how do we know what your father thinks? Because they're supposed to be the ones that say they know the father, right? They, they, they know God. This is their profession. This is, their, this is the veracity of all their claims. They know God. And Jesus said, just said, no, 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 the witnesses are me and God. And, and so if, if they now say that, 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 that they don't know that God uh, is with him, then they are going to get themselves in a tremendous bind. And so Jesus says, no, no, here are the witnesses, me and God, the father. And here's how you could kind of walk through this with me. We are one. I don't do anything without the Father. The Father tells me everything. We're fully united, walking in unison, one with another. And that's where we open the passage today. And, and I specifically want to spend a little bit of time working through uh, how Jesus uh, lines this out in verse 28 and 29. If you have your Bibles, uh, you could stay there with me for a few moments as we look through the ways in which Jesus uh, outlines this relationship. He says, uh, when, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, that's an allusion to the fact that they're going to crucify him. They're going to, they're going to put him on the cross. Then you will know who I am, even as the Roman centurion at, uh, at the crucifixion attest to the fact, surely this man was the Son of God. There is uh, a foreshadowing there, but then it outlines the relationship with him and the Father. It says, I do nothing on my own. My actions are not my own. The, the way I move and have my being in the world, what I do, where I do it, when I do it, all of my actions are the work of the Father. 
I do nothing on my own. And then he goes even a step further. He says, actually, I only speak just what the Father has taught me. And so you see this beautiful melding of of action and speech, of word and deed, all being poured together that, that nothing he says or does is done outside of the work of the Father. And man, I, I think that this is, this is a confrontation to me. It, it's convicting because I start to wonder, what do I do or do I say that is outside of the work of the Lord? In what ways do I act or speak that are outside of the will of the Father? And it reminds us of our humanity, of our broken nature, of our need for Jesus, of our need for salvation, because we can acknowledge very quickly, maybe even today, maybe even multiple times today, all of the ways in which we have fallen short of that high holy calling, and Jesus is able to, with confidence, conviction, and, and truth, articulate to those that are hearing him that he is, in fact, only speaking and doing the work of the Father. Nothing less than entirely what God desires. And then he, he lays out uh, how, uh, how God is with him in this work and how they're united in this work. You see in verse 29 it turns and it says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And, and I think that there's such beauty in that, to know that you're not left alone. Last week, we, we referred to that when we were looking at Acts 1-8 and this commission right before Jesus ascends into heaven where he, where he tells his disciples that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But you remember what comes just before that, the beginning of verse 8. It says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. This work that you are to do, this 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 a speech that you are to proclaim, this witness that will be received in both word and deed is not, is not something that you give alone, but you can do it with confidence knowing that you do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus articulates that to us because that's what he learned from the Father. That is, that is how God operates. God did not send his son Jesus in abandonment forsaking him, rather, he has come and is teaching and working in ministry with Jesus. They are one. And then Jesus passes that on to you and to me, and we now have the Holy Spirit at work in us. So when Jesus says, the one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, we can hear this as well and say, the one who has sent me The one who has sent you is with you. He has not left you alone. And then finally, the the conclusion of of this phrase and this, this teaching of Jesus there in that section, in verse 29, it says, For I always do what pleases the Father. Always do. What pleases the Father? Not sometimes. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. 
not on uh, Sunday mornings at 10.30 in the morning or 10.35 or 10.40 in the morning. Y'all did, no, you, do you get it? Okay, okay, good. Not sometimes, it's not conditional. Always, always I do what pleases the Father. And Jesus invites us into that. He doesn't, he doesn't leave that uh, lingering as this outside peace for someone else or just for him. But he then invites us into this as well. In verse 31, we have an invitation into this. An invitation. It says, if you hold, if you. Jesus now is addressing uh, the, the people. It even says that some are starting to believe in him. And so for those that are beginning to have a movement of the spirit within them where they're feeling something stir and they're thinking, I might want to just offer my life to Jesus. I might want to just turn a, a, a new page and have something new a life that is abundant here and now and a life that is eternal forever in heaven. If you want that, here's this invitation. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then we hear this, this phrase. It actually is, is, is uh, renowned in our culture. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, once upon a time, we used to culturally know that that was from the Gospel of John chapter 8. Uh, I think commonly in culture, we don't any longer know that the truth shall set you free is biblical, much less from Jesus. I mean, it's, it's something that's stated on the footsteps of, 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 a, of a courthouse after a big case. The truth will prevail and the truth will set you free. It's, it's maybe a closing argument. It's, it, it's, it's catchy. I mean, it, it's, it's tweetable, right? We could Except for I've never tweeted before, so I don't really know what that's like. But, but uh, if you are on Twitter, I imagine you might tweet, the truth shall set you free. Hashtag. Hashtag. Um, but we, we totally miss what it means. In fact, we, we miss it so much, we, we then display it places and, uh, and display it totally out of context. There are nine universities in the United States of America that have on their, on their central building the words... Then you shall know the truth, and the, sh the truth shall set you free. It's even on uh, University of Texas, actually. So uh, today is the day we're picking on University of Texas. Um, not, not really. I love all of you Longhorns equally, I promise. So, but on that building, you have verse 32, Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But you are missing the context that Jesus is putting this in an invitation and saying, If you hold to my teachings... Then you're my disciples. Then, then, when you are my disciples, you'll know the truth. I mean, we could totally, uh, it, just in the Gospel of John, drill down and get a better understanding of what the truth shall set you free looks like. We can start with the word truth. And, and, and when we hear Jesus using the word truth, we're automatically reminded of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am truth. And so if Jesus says, I am truth, you could actually substitute the name Jesus for the word truth in this phrase. The truth shall set you free. Jesus shall set you free. 
And then whenever you hear free, you, you automatically need to ask the question, what am I being set free from? In fact, the Pharisees ask that very question. They say, we've never be, been enslaved. We are children of Abraham. We're his descendants. And since we're his descendants, we don't even know what we need to be free from. Good questions, Pharisees. Good questions, people of God. What are we being set free from? Well, Jesus tells us clearly in verse 34 and in verse 24 of the same chapter. Verse 34 says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're being set free from sin. And then in verse 24, he, he lays out what this, what this sin bondage looks like. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the Messiah. Indeed, you will die in your sins. You're being set free from sin and death. So anytime you hear the words, and the truth shall set you free, as Christians, gospel believers, we should hear it said, Jesus sets you free from sin and death. And man, if the world knew that. <laughs> I mean, every time something crazy in the world's happened in the last year, I just said, man, we need to know Jesus. <sighs> if the world would know Jesus, the truth will set you free from sin and death. And this is an invitation for you and for me. The invitation that Jesus spoke there in the temple, it wasn't just spoken to, to the Pharisees or to his disciples. It was spoken out loud for anyone that would choose to be his disciple, to follow his teaching that freedom is yours in Jesus. And what a glorious gift that is. Jesus then breaks down the, the, the choice that we have for the Pharisees. He says, hey, look, this, this slavery thing, uh, this slavery to sin thing, I want you to think about it in a different framework. I want you to think about a choice that you have, and I'm giving you the invitation to choose, Jesus is saying. You can either choose to be a slave to sin, bondage to sin, or, or you can choose to be a daughter and son of the Most High King. You can choose to be adopted into the family of faith. This is an invitation for you to be a child of God. Now, we, we all know the difference if you have kids or maybe even just being a kid at one point in time the difference there is whenever you respond to your parents uh, request or direction or instruction in grumbling and frustration versus if you do it with uh, acceptance and joy pride to be a part of the family now some of you are wondering what does that second part even look like i ain't never seen it right I mean, I mean, for real, like whenever you're like, hey, I need you to clean your room. I need you to move your clothes out of the out of the dryer because I need to get my clothes into the dryer. By the way, my kids do do their clothes, do do their. They, yeah, they wash their clothes. But, uh, you know, hey, I need you to wash the dishes. I need you to sweep this up. I need you to do something. And, and you know what it's like when the kid just rolls their eyes. Or they 
Have y'all ever heard the, like, like what, what is, where does that even come? No, the grunt, the grumble, you know? Or, or, or better yet, if, if they don't show it to your face, but then when they're walking up their st- the stairs to do it, the, the feet get a little heavy. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, but that's not being a part of the family. That's, that's feeling as though your, your, your work in the family is a work of coercion or of obligation, not a work of blessing. Right? How many times is, does your mama say, look, you are blessed to be a part of this family. Right? It, it, you got a roof over your head, food on the table, clothes on your back. You better be grateful. Right? Like you, that, I got that growing up. I need to do that more with my kids. Right? So this, this invitation means that we are part of a family. Not that we follow Jesus' teachings grumbling or with or with frustration or anger, but that we are, we are thankful that we get to be a part of that family. When we go on youth mission trip, I remember, uh, I actually remember the, the very first youth mission trip we took uh, to Blueprint Ministries in San Antonio. Uh, everybody has chores, and you got a big chore chart, and this team has this job on this day, and you're going to wipe up the tables, and you're going to clean the bathrooms, and you're going to, you know, sweep the floors, and, you know, you have all these different jobs. And, and the speech goes something like this. Hey, everybody that goes, we're, uh, we're going to all have a part to play every day. We're all going to have some work to do, Right? And we're going to have some work to do because we're all, while we are here, a part of the same family. We take joy in getting to serve one another and serve those out in the community. And I tell you what, that's confusing for some of these kids. Because some of these kids, I have taught something. No, hmm. I was debating on whether or not to like make this some other church in some other land at some other time. But I'm just going to tell you, I've taught some of your kids how to sweep. I've taught some of your kids how to wipe a table. I have taught some of your kids how to take their plate off the table to the kitchen. Come on, people of God, we got to do better. Come on. Come on. You are cutting them off at the knees, right? All right, here we go. But we do that work together for one another because we are blessed to be a part of that family. Without grumbling or complaint, but understanding that we have the lasting benefit of an inheritance that blesses our life today and our life forevermore. And that's our invitation. I mean, think about it like this. Uh, You get called into into the office by your boss. Your boss has a new task for you, a new, a, a new initiative that you're going to be a part of and, and you know, lays out the initiative, lays out where it is, what it is, and then you have some questions and you all talk about it back and forth. You have kind of two primary questions. You want to know, uh, know how is this initiative going to be resourced and who is my team that's going to be working on this initiative with me? You got to know how is it resourced and who's with me. But get this, whenever, whenever Jesus invites us on this mission, on this task, we have the expert. We have the one who's already accomplished the task, who's calling us to it. 
He's inviting us to go into the world as his witnesses, and, and he's already come into the world to be the witness on behalf of the Father. And so we have the one who's the expert. And then he says, uh, look, I'm resourcing you with all that I have, all that I am, my whole heart, my life. I pour it out for you. I'm giving you everything you need. Not to mention that, but who's going to be with you? The whole body of Christ. Look to your left and look to your right. Look to the person in front of you and the person behind you. Know that we're on this mission together. And then what he does is he says, even more, once more, I'm going with you. You're not alone in this. You're in my family and we're doing this together. We're telling the world about light and life together. And so we're invited in this glorious mission. But we know we're not alone. We have everything we need. And so that's our invitation. Do you want to be Jesus's disciples? Are you ready to follow his teachings? Because you want to. Because you want to be a part of that family. If you do, the work is wonderful because it all brings glory to the one who has changed our lives in the first place. Let's get back on mission together. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a gift it is to know that we are invited in on mission. Lord, just as you began this extraordinary work in us, this work of discipleship, Lord, bring it to completion and fulfillment. Lord, help us to offer our whole selves to you and to the world in response to the grace that we have known in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to know and acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is in us and that you have created us for good and faithful works. And so as we go into the world, we are uniquely ourselves, but all commonly blessed with the same, the same coach, the same instructor, the same Savior. His name is Jesus. Lord, move in this space, move in our hearts, move in our community so that the world would know the gift we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray.